0: If
1: Today, I ask that you come and with your mighty but gentle hand probe our hearts. For everything lies open before you. Nothing is hidden in our past, our present, or our future. And you have said, Why would you die? Turn from your wicked ways. I know, Lord, it is not your will that any man or any woman should die and be cast into hell. I know it is your will that all men should come to salvation. Lord, probe our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. America is the number one manufacturer of weapons of war. America murders its babies. In New York City, more babies are aborted every year than are born. America has lived a life of luxury based on our petrodollar that has allowed us to borrow from the nations and consume their wealth so that we could have a lifestyle of the rich and the famous. If you have $3,500 in assets of any kind, you are more wealthy than 50% of the entire world. No nation on the face of the earth has been blessed by God more than America. There was a day when America was the great exporter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sending missionaries all over the world. Today, nations like the Philippines that we used to send our missionaries to are now sending their missionaries to America. Today, many in the world, in China, for example, view America as the dark nation that needs the gospel light of Jesus Christ. We are no longer the head, we are now the tail. But what I see happening in America is the natural progression that's been going on for many years as the churches became dry bones of orthodoxy with no real experience. If you go back in history, to the 50s, the early 50s, you saw a dry bone orthodoxy emerging across the board in the Presbyterian church, in the Lutheran church, in the Catholic church, across every church. And then there was a a small breath of God as Catherine Kuhlman and others were blessed by God. And they began to breathe life back into the church. And most of those people then, because they didn't have their own personal experience of holiness, were utterly corrupted and God withdrew His Holy Spirit from them. Oral Roberts was one of those men that God breathed life and suddenly began to bring about healings and conversions and conviction. And then he prostituted it with money and God withdrew from him. God is not going to once more come and bring his power to men and women of God who have not been tested and tried, who know what it means to walk in true righteousness and true holiness. He will not again come and do the same thing. This time the church, literally by our government, has become exiled in America. And the answer to this exiling of the Christian church in America is that the church now is going to have to go underground and it's going to have to form very tight-knit communities of people who are utterly committed to following Jesus Christ. There is going to emerge now in America people who are sold out, who love Jesus and who hate evil, and are no longer going to play in the middle ground They're going to be real Christians come, finally, in America. I don't know what persecution will be necessary, but let me just share. Most churches in America are what are called 501c3s, designated by the IRS. This happened during the Johnson administration when he was president of the United States. He was able to force through this 501c3 designation. It did not add anything to the church. It was a very clever ploy on his part to cause the churches to think that they needed this to be tax deductible. Prior to this time, all churches were what were called free churches. You usually made your donation or your check out to the senior pastor of the church. That money would then be taken and deposited in a church account where accountability was held and the expenses of the ministry were paid out of that account. But when the 503 came in, the promise was that government would give ministry money to the churches that there would be cooperation between the government and the church, and they would begin funding ministries to the poor. And in fact, that is what has happened. But also with that came a designation that said churches had to utterly withdraw from all political dialogue. And so now churches have been shut down, fearful to speak publicly about abortion, because it was considered by the government to be a political issue. It has never been a political issue. It has always been a moral issue. They were not allowed to speak about political issues regarding candidates. This again was a ploy of the devil. Johnson was fearful for his reelection campaign that the churches were too strongly opposed to him because of his support of the Vietnam War. And so he brought in this to silence the dissent of the churches. We were right as a church to object to the Vietnamese war. We should have been wise enough to object to the Iraqi war. We should have been wise enough to object to the Afghanistan war. Today, America is involved in more murder and more mayhem in more countries than any other single nation in the world. If you want to ask about a terrorist nation, America has become, to many people, a terrorist organization. Now, we don't like that. It hurts our pride. But talk to the people who are dying with With predator drone strikes. We live in a horrible time when right is wrong and wrong is right. The problem with the 501c3 has not yet been revealed. Those 501c3 churches are now going to be forced by the US government to perform gay marriages. And if they refuse, they will lose their 501c3 standing. And if they lose that standing, they may very well lose their buildings. Because the law dictates that if you lose your 501c3, you have to then donate your financial assets to another 501c3. So churches have walked into the trap of the government. And you're going to see civil disobedience. You're going to see Christians being persecuted. We have been literally exiled in our own land. If ever there was a time to become serious about Jesus Christ, today is the day. If ever there was a time when you finally said, I need to deal with the sin of my heart and I need to get clean with the blood of Jesus, today's that day. The day of good time church is over in America. And frankly, between you and me, I praise God for that. I praise God that finally there's going to be a clear line of distinction between those who say they follow Jesus Christ and those who are of the world. There is going to come now a cleansing in the American church. I praise God for this. It is a time to be sober. It is a time to very carefully examine who and what we worship. I spoke to a man yesterday, and he said to me, Pastor, you and I have a disagreement. I'm always interested when someone says that to me. I'm not offended by disagreement. It opens the door for interesting dialogue, however, and it always uncovers the heart. I said, what is our disagreement? He said, I'm not ever going to stop sinning until Jesus comes. And I'm saved. I said, oh. So your Savior is death. Not Jesus. No. I'm saved by faith in the blood of Jesus. I'm washed and made clean. I said, are you still walking in sin? Oh, yes. I tried leaving my sin and I couldn't. So I finally settled down and said, I might as well enjoy life. And Jesus will save me anyway. I'm on my way to heaven. He said, I know you disagree with me, don't you? I said, no, it's not a disagreement between you and me. It's a disagreement between you and Jesus. And he's the judge. I'm not. But you will one day soon face the judge and discover that death was not your savior. But death is where you're going for eternity. And he said, oh, you're just an old legalist. I said, no, no, please understand me. Righteousness only comes as a gift by the blood of Jesus. But it's real righteousness. It's not make believe righteousness. He changes us. He transforms us. He breathes his life into us and his joy into us. We're changed as a free gift. It's not anything that I've done. I said, can I tell you the truth? He didn't answer. I said, all right, let me tell you anyway. The truth is you want to have your life and you want to go to heaven too. You want to walk in your sin and rebellion. You don't want to die. You don't want to be crucified. And you think that Jesus is going to be permissive with you and let you enter heaven. Can I tell you something? No answer. If you go to heaven with your sin, heaven will soon become hell. Because we'll have the same thing we have Right now in America, pretty soon there will be a movement to say, we can have marriage between two men. He said, I don't believe in that. I said, No, but you believe in your sin. That pretty well ended our conversation. We've come to a time when God has to come and begin to probe our hearts. And the question is, when your heart is probed by the Holy Spirit, will you resist that probing and say, no, 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 you don't have the right to come into my heart and convict me of my sin. You just love me, Jesus. You're a God of love. You just love me and leave me alone in my sin. We've come to a time when that probing is going to become very powerful And if you want the peace of God in your heart, you're going to have to come into agreement with Him regarding your sin. If you don't come into agreement with Him and let Him totally remove the wickedness from your heart, you will never have the peace of God. And I tell you honestly, the greatest joy of my heart is to have peace and oneness with Jesus Christ. I woke up this morning with a song on my heart. Washed in his blood. I woke up without a guilty conscience this morning. I woke up knowing he has dealt with me. And I invite him to deal even more with me because I want that peace to deepen in my heart. I want his full peace Now, there was a man in Scripture. His name was Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times, went out and wept bitterly because suddenly he saw himself for what he was, a self-centered man who wanted to use Jesus to accomplish the great work he envisioned of throwing the Romans out and establishing the Jewish state as the supreme nation of the earth. Peter suddenly saw that he was trying to use Jesus, and he didn't have the ability to walk with Jesus, because his heart was utterly corrupt. He turned on the man who loved him more than any man had ever loved him, more than he could ever hope to be loved. He had betrayed that man. And Jesus had warned him that he would betray that man. He was exposed. He was ashamed. He wept. Now was a time of great uncertainty. Jesus came five times to the disciples in Jerusalem. They were hiding in the upper room, the door locked because they were afraid the Jewish people, the rulers, the Romans would come and seek them out and crucify them like they had Jesus. They were scared. Jesus didn't even knock on the door. He just appeared in the room. And that terrified him because they thought Jesus was a ghost. And he said, no, look, I'll eat this food. Touch me. Feel me. I'm real. I'm risen. And then he said to them, I'll meet you in Galilee. All of the disciples but Judas were from the Galilee area. None of them came from Jerusalem. They were country people. Judas betrayed Jesus. He said, Now I'm going to meet you in Galilee. So they went to Galilee. Oh, please, these men had families. At least some of them did. Peter, we know, was married. His mother lived with him, he took care of, of his mother. What do they do for money? How do they pay their monthly bill? Peter had a fishing business, but the boat has been sitting idle. He hasn't been out fishing. How does he deal with the financial situation they're in? And so now they're waiting. There is no sterner test for the Christian than to be sat down with no way to go forward and no ability to change the financial situation of their life. There is no more difficult test than the test of whether or not God will provide for us or whether we must go out and do whatever we have to do to create the wealth so that we can survive. Many have been tested on this point and have failed the test. Part of the call to follow Jesus is that our businesses belong to Jesus. Our jobs belong to Jesus. Our money belongs to Jesus. And we use it at His direction. But when we're out of money and Jesus has led us to a place where it looks like we're going to die. It is the most severe test a man can be placed in. This is where Peter is. Jesus said, I'll meet you in Galilee on the mountain. I'm sure they went many times to the mountain where the Sermon on the Mount was given and there was no Jesus. And many times when you're being this sorely tested, you will go where you believe Jesus told you to go and there will be no Jesus And there is simply this waiting on Jesus. I pray that you will not have to go through this severe testing. But I pray if you do, you will not avoid it by going out and lighting your own fires and creating your own reality. Truth is never judged by my experience. Truth is always judged by the word of God. Finally, Peter says to Six of the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And they say, let's go fishing. Let's make some money. So off they went. They got Peter's fishing boat. And they went out on the Sea of Galilee. And they fished all night. Now they weren't fishing with the fishing pole, please. They were fishing with nets, heavy nets that were cast out into the water. Circle the boat, hard, heavy labor, pulling those nets into the boat. They did it time after time in the deep water. They did not catch one fish. Finally, they begin to pull towards shore. The light of dawn is breaking and no fish are caught in the Sea of Galilee. This way it's crystal clear. They could not catch fish this way when the light was shining on the water. They're downhearted. Jesus has not shown up. They were told to wait on Jesus. They didn't wait on Jesus. Instead, they went out and tried to gain their own momentum. It has failed. Probably the most dangerous thing that can happen to a man or woman is that God calls you to wait on Him, and you blow that off and just go create your own. And from that point on, you live on your own income not on that which is supplied by the Lord God of heaven. You have to keep lighting your own fires and your own strategy. The disciples were not allowed that indulgence. You have to have a bit of a sense of humor to think that the Holy Spirit would go down in the water and shoo the fish away from their nets That was a supernatural act to prevent them from catching a fish. Did you know God is not beyond going into your life and shooing the fish away from your net? Abundance is given by the Lord God of heaven. The power to gain wealth comes from Jesus. They come into the shallow water. And they see a man on the shore He seems to have a fire going. And he calls out to them. These are young adults. He calls out to them and he says, children, kids, did you catch anything? No. Well, cast your nets on the other side. They're now in shallow water. Cast your nets on the other side. They've heard this one other time. They throw their nets on the other side. And suddenly the nets are jammed with fish. God has been herding all of those fish. And now he sends them into the nets. Now there's very interesting what it says about this in the book of John. Verse 6, John 21, verse 6. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And if you continue reading, it says, the net did not tear. In other words, God sent the fish that should have ripped the net to shreds and they should have lost everything. But the equipment did not malfunction because the fish were ordered by God into the net. I hope you get what I just said. When God comes and begins to breathe into us and give us direction regarding where he wants us to go. He's not going to let a breakdown occur that will destroy what he's told us to do. He's going to open the way. Now, for some of you, that may be customers coming into your business. For some of you, it may be contracts that need to come. For some, it may be people who come, who need to come and join your business. He knows how to herd people together, contracts together, people together, fish together. God knows how to order every step of our lives. He knows how to go out and clean up our messes. He knows how to create something beautiful out of what is ugly. And he also knows how to sit us down and say, Sit down there, you've got time out. Just wait for me to come. I'm almost shy of asking, have you ever been sat down in time out by God? Where suddenly your health is gone? Or suddenly your money's gone? Or suddenly your precious wife or husband is gone? Suddenly everything crashes? and you're in timeout now you can get mad you can try to get even you can try to avoid it or you can come to the Lord God of heaven and say i'm going to wait on you and i'm going to watch what you want to do and i'm going to wait for you to open the door and if you don't come i'm going to die I don't think anything pleases God more than for a man or woman to finally come to an end of themselves and say, okay, I will wait upon you, Lord. I will wait upon you. They catch all of these fish, and the disciple John says, that's Jesus. Peter grabs his outward garment he jumps into the shallow water I don't know now maybe it's two feet deep they're wrestling with fish they're flopping everywhere they're trying to throw them in the boat the boat's about to sink with all the fish in it Peter's not interested in fish anymore it's Jesus on the beach so he jumps in the water and makes his way to Jesus. It says As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, and he jumped into the water. Verse eight, this is John twenty one, verse eight. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, and there were fish cooking. Breakfast, fish fry. Jesus said to them, come on, bring some of the fish. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. He was the muscle man. All the others couldn't drag it, but Peter laid his hands on it, and it moved. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. When they'd finished eating. Jesus said to Simon. Simon, son of Jonah. Do you you truly love me more than these? Now, it does not say here, but it will say later, that they were walking away from the fire as this conversation began. Jesus said, Peter, come, I want to talk to you. I don't think there's anything that brings more joy to my heart than to hear Jesus call me and say, come, I want to talk to you, Ray. He may not say it out loud, although he has. It may just be a quiet knowing in my spirit that he's saying, come, I want you to pray. And suddenly you leave behind all of the flopping fish. And you walk away with Jesus to hear what he wants to say to you. Now, I want you to notice in what he's going to say in this conversation that Jesus is not primarily concerning himself with doctrine. He's not concerning himself with beliefs. He's concerning himself with the question. Do you love me? Do you love me? You will not love Jesus if he has not forgiven you for your sins. If you still hold the right of your own life in your own hand, you will not love Jesus Christ. In fact, as the conviction of God comes and says you must turn away from wickedness. If you do not turn away, you will begin to hate Jesus Christ. You will walk in rebellion against him. It's only those who repent who say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I want to know you, Jesus. That person, love will begin to bubble up out of their heart. We call it peace, we call it love, we call it many different things, but it's about giving up our life and saying, Jesus, I love you. The first question that he asks, Simon, son of John, It's like when my mom and dad, when I was a little boy, they would say to me, Raymond, I knew I was in trouble. Jesus says, Simon, son of John. It's truth time. Do you truly agape me in the Greek? Now, in the New Testament, the word agape meaning sacrificial love, and phileo, meaning friendship. Those two words are often interchangeable, but in the context you discover which is being used. And agape is the more formal public word, while phileo is the very private use of the Greek. And so he's saying, out here in public, do you agape me more than these? Now the question has always been, who's, who's he talking about when he says these? One scholar will say he's talking about the disciples. Another scholar will say, no, he's talking about the fish. It's obvious from the context of the passage, it's been all about fish. So I believe he's saying, Simon, son of John, do you agape me are you sacrificing yourself for me more than for these, these fish? John has sacrificed, or Peter has sacrificed everything to be a successful fisherman, to make money, to take care of his family. Money has been his God. And then he was caught by John the Baptist, and there was something in him that awakened And he began to follow John the Baptist, but not like the others did. He'd go and listen to a sermon, then he'd go back and make money. And grumble, probably, because the others were not with him, helping him. So now he's faced with a question. And now I have to ask you the same question. Do you love Jesus more than the money? Do you love Jesus more than your job? Do you love Jesus more than your entertainment? Do you love him more than NASCAR and Redskins? For some of you, that's an easy answer. For some, it's hard because they worship at the altar of the television. Peter's answer, yes, Lord, he said, You know that I love you. And he uses the word phileo. Yes, Lord, you know I love you like a friend. That you are dear to my heart. My heart is overflowing with love. It's hard to say I agape you with a formal word and express the inner feelings and the passion. He has passed the place where he denied Jesus. He now is coming and saying, I O you. You know what? In America, we're faced with this question. And this is what is going to divide the church. Are you willing to lay your life down and sacrifice for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to repent of your sin and turn and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you love Jesus more than you love your American life? That's the question. And the answer was from Peter I have great affection in my heart for you. You're everything to me. Is he everything to you? Or do you have competing loves? Jesus answers Feed my lambs. He goes to this motif of the shepherd. This 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Do you know why the water had to be still? Sheep are terrified of drinking from running water because they know that if they get wet, they're going to end up upside down because their wool is so heavy and they're going to drown so they won't drink from running water. They're terrified of it. He's saying, Peter, focus on my lambs. Focus on those men and women, those boys and girls who are new believers. Take care of them. Let the love you say you have for me cause you to love others and give yourself for them. And the way I'll know that you love me is by the way you love your brothers and sisters. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, Life Together, said the way you can gauge your relationship with God is by examining your relationship with other people. For the way you treat people is the way you are treating God. Jesus again said to Simon Peter in verse 16, Simon, son of John, again formal, do you truly agape me? Are you truly willing to lay your life down for me? You said you were before and then you denied me three times. Now are you really prepared? Have you grown enough that now you understand who I am and who you are. And all illusions are gone. Will you truly lay your life down for me? Peter answers again. Yes, Lord. You know that I owe you. Peter is not going to jump into this formal word of agape. All Peter can say is, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, then Peter, take care of my sheep and don't go fishing again. Remember, Jesus called him and said, you're not going to be fishers of men or fishers of fish any longer. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to go now for the salvation of other people. Can I say this to you? You do not go to your job to make money. If you go to a business or you go to a job, you go there to take care of the sheep of God. You go there to win those men and women to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't go there for money. Christians don't worship money. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the authority of God over your life and His righteousness. And then all of these things that the pagans go after. I know you need them. I'll supply them. Money for food, money for housing. You have all these things you need. I know you need that. I can't go to the grocery store and and say, Mr. Wegmans, please take my faith in Jesus to pay for this bill. No, they want dollars. But Jesus said, if you'll seek my kingdom and you'll seek my righteousness, I will give you that money. Now it's hard to believe that when you're sitting still and everything is dying and crashing and we want to go fishing. And Jesus said, no, come and get my authority over your life. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Remember how many times Peter disowned Jesus? Three times. Jesus is literally reestablishing Peter and letting Peter know, I forgive you for denying me. And I now am bringing you back and now I'm reassigning you as a fisher of men. Every one of you in this house is a fisher of men, if you serve Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word pastor means? Pastor is the Latin for shepherd. You are all called to be pastors. You are all called to be shepherds of other people that you serve by feeding them and loving them, and having compassion upon them. The third time, Jesus once more formally says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time there's a change. He does not say, Jesus did not say this time, do you agape me? This time he says, do you phileo me? Do you owe me? And this time, Peter is heartbroken because now he knows that the question is being asked of him. Do you really have such affection for me? And every one of us today has got to honestly answer the question. Has anger risen up in your heart, because of your condition, because of your circumstances, and has that full love of your heart turned cold? because you have become angry about the circumstances of your life. And you've gone out and said, "I've got to do what I've got to do." Or does your heart overflow? With that warm, rich, affectionate love. Jesus loves you. I want you to hear that, every one of you. Whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus loves you. And he died for you. And he wants you to have life. He's willing to give you life. But the question is, will you repent? And do you love him more than the fish? Jesus says now, feed my sheep. In other words, he's saying, be available. Do the chores. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He returns home to the father from the pig pen, they have a great party. But what happened the morning after the party? I can tell you. Dad said, now hit the fields. Let's get some work done on the farm. The Christian walk is not just a party. It's okay. Let's get some work done. Let's feed the sheep. Let's be responsible for for being a part of family. Every one of you today are invited into the family of God. Some of you are not a part of the family of God. You are invited into the family of God. I'll take it another step. You're invited today to be a part of the exiled people called Christians who are going to have to face the reality of a changed circumstance where we could live in luxury with the world to a time of great hardship and famine. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, You, Follow me. Can you hear that in your heart today? You are called to follow Jesus. Now you are either going to say yes or you're going to say no. You're either going to repent and get right with Jesus. And let his blood pay the toning price, the sacrificial price for your sin. Or you're going to stand before the judgment bar of God with no atonement and with no covering and be cast into the depths of darkness and hell. The time for wavering is over. It's decision time. Will you serve Jesus? It is not an emotional issue necessarily although it may be accompanied by emotion. It is very much a question of the mind and the heart. What is it that you choose in your inner being? Do you choose to be your own God? Do you choose another God? Or do you choose the Lord God of heaven who paid the price for your salvation? Follow me, he says. Now I love Peter. He's so much like I am and you are. He turns and he looks around to see who's watching. And he sees that John is following. Probably trying to catch what Jesus is saying. Have you ever sat in a restaurant and listened to a conversation going on at the next table? You're not supposed to listen, but you can't help yourself. It's so fascinating. That's where John was. He was listening. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. was following him. In verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus has just told Peter that he is going to die a martyr's death of crucifixion. We know today through church history, he did die. He was crucified. He was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy of being crucified like his Lord. So he died, crucified, upside down. Jesus answered Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. So stop worrying about everybody else. It's your choice. It's your decision. God doesn't have any grandkids He only has children either who are submitted and committed and forgiven or children who are in rebellion and walking in darkness. He only has two kinds of kids. I rejoice today that we have finally come to a place in America where compromise is no longer a possibility. It's time. For the exiled to come together and form the body of Christ in a new way. And that new way is love with integrity that pours out its heart for others and calls them to follow Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress Brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.